Hey, is racism just part of sport, or is it just that racists are everywhere? Here is a report of what's going on in the United Kingdom as British police have now opened an investigation into the racist abuse of three black players who failed to score penalties in England's shootout loss to Italy in the European Championship final. Here is our reporter in London, Redmond Shannon. Those sentiments of disappointment today in England are mixed with anger at the targeting of the three English players, one of them as young as 19, Bukayo Saka from London. He missed the last penalty kick to give Italy the title. And he and the other two, um, Marcus Rashford and Jaden Sancho, have all been targeted online with uh, racist abuse. The coach this morning, Gareth Southgate, called it unforgivable. That is Redmond Shannon reporting. And on the line, Sabrina Razek, who is a PhD candidate at the U of T studying sport, gender, and race. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. So let's get back to my central question. Is racism and sport intertwined? Is it linked somehow? I think we have to remember that sport mirrors society. So it's not absolved from any of the isms, uh, and especially on the pitches where you see lots of different communities, countries, nationalities, and ethnicities coming together, you're going to see a clash uh, inevitably. One of the things that's been pointed out and we talked about in our last segment is if, if this shootout loss had happened 20 years ago, um, those people would not have a megaphone on social media to be able to amplify that racist sentiment. Yes, that's that's true. There, what we see now is there's more mediums in which to visibly display um, racist thoughts. But you do see, like, the football, racism in football is really not new. Uh, we've seen, you know, campaigns, FIFA, really trying to end racism in football and in stadiums to no avail. You still see rampant racism and abhorrent treatment towards uh black athletes throughout the years. One of the things that Redmond Shannon, our reporter, had, was talking about uh, earlier today was that uh, when the English players would uh, take a knee in support of Black Lives Matter, there was some there was some abuse from the crowd previous in previous matches, and that that was not condemned. And because that was not condemned, and there was no, no one speaking out about it, that that let what happened post the loss, after the loss, the, allowed that to fester. It's, is it a question of just not being, being quick enough to denounce this kind of behavior? Yeah, it's, it's tough to, to really keep up and punish the widespread racism. If you have large group of people, thousands if not millions of tweets, tracking them all down and punishing them is at, at some point some people would just throw their hands up in the air, which, which, you know, the sport federations are scrambling to try to figure this out, and they have not been successful. And you have seen, say, in the NBA, some fans being punished for uh, racist years, and they've tried some sorts of punishments in, in uh, FIFA as well, but unsuccessfully. So you see, again, social media it's extremely difficult to do. And then the thousands of fans, all of them down, it is a difficult thing to do. However, you can put certain policies in 
these instances and having a zero tolerance for fans' behavior within the stadium as well has not been. Sabrina, we're just having some uh, technical difficulties. You seem to be fading in and out. If you can maybe stay in one place, maybe that might help. Uh, on the line is Sabrina Razik, who's a PhD candidate at uh, U of T studying sport, gender, and race. I- I'm wondering if we can talk about the impact on players and you know what that what that must be like, whether or not you're playing soccer or hockey, or if you're a uh, if you're a black player, the abuse that you you must, I guess, almost expect. Yes, it is abuse that you do expect. And I think with England, and, you know, I did a paper on the 2006 World Cup with the headbutting incident with Zinedine Zidane mm-hmm. as well, and how quickly he was reduced to an Algerian Muslim um, from Marseille. So I think, you know, this is a repeated pattern where, especially in countries like England, predominantly white countries too, they're seen as not belonging, right? So out of the England team, you have, with the exception of three, the remaining players have ties to countries outside of England. And even in the 2016, 19 out of the 22 players were immigrants. So it's it's something where that belonging and the racialized players are seen as less than and less deserving um, of treatment, of of treatment that is is shielded white players are shielded from that ill treatment whereas racialized players are exposed due to the fact that they are not seen as belonging and you have the politicians who are also condoning and emboldening these fans by calling kneeling and any acts that support you get on social justice issues like black lives matter gesture politics do you see sport as almost uh, an amplification and this kind of comes back to your your first answer and your central point that you know that there's always going to be a racist element in society you're never going to stamp it out but that there's something about sport that inflames our passions and amplifies you know what we say and what we do and so that sport itself shines a bright light on on these situations. So when we see these things happening in sport, really what that's saying to us is, no, this is what's really happening all the way through society. Correct. Absolutely correct. When we also see racialized bodies and what they're valued for, they're valued, you know, on the pitch and it's, it's their love. It's conditional. So we saw that even with Ben Johnson um, after he was was caught. Uh, cheating as well. He was quickly reduced to a Jamaican immigrant, and and we see that the love and support is conditional, and we've seen that also, you know, being displayed in politics and many other realms as well. So I think you're absolutely correct, and I think what we have to really wrap our heads around is how we can humanize athletes across the board and ensuring that they get the support that they need. And and it's it's helpful to have coaches and these organizations speak out, but they need to do a little bit more to protect them. We've we've been talking a lot in the last year about racial reckoning and, and trying to understand. I think all of us trying to understand a little bit, a little bit better about the realities of of our society and our culture. Is there what is there hope? Do you do you have hope that things are getting better? I do have a renewed sense of hope. And just this past year, even doing my thesis and talking to 
a number of volunteers, a number of administrators within the sports world and their commitment to making sports safer. I do think that we are going along the path, be it slowly, albeit slowly, of uh, some form of reconciliation and a recognition and acknowledgement that racism does exist and how do we redress those issues. So that gives me a continued, a renewed hope and, and a continued passion to keep on fighting these issues that are important. Sabrina, always great to talk to you. Thank you again for your time and coming on today. No problem. Thank you. That is Sabrina Razek, who is a Ph.D. candidate at U of T studying kinesiology and with a fa- uh, focus on sport, gender, and race. A lot to dig into there. A lot to think about in terms of what's really going on.